in and find your seat again. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, hey, awesome. I see that hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning. Uh, God, I thank you that you have divine opportunities, divine moments for every person here. In Jesus' name, I thank you, God, that it's not by accident that we are here this morning. I thank you that your plans and your purposes shall come to fruition, God, in, in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in Newport Church, God, in our spiritual family. Father, we honor your presence here this morning. God, I thank you for your grace here this morning. I thank you for your goodness here this morning among us, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you have something for each one of us. You have a nugget from your word for each one of us. We thank you that we can center our lives around your word, God. We thank you, Lord, that you give us sustaining grace, sustaining portions in our lives in Jesus' name. God, we ask for encounters of your glory for every person here in our homes. Father, even as, as, uh, as we sleep during the week, God, I, I just ask, Father, for encounters of your glory, encounters of your presence. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. In the name of Jesus, we honor you in this place, Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, just a quick uh, reminder for you, if you are in youth group, there is a separate service. Uh, Larry Kreider is here. He has a word for you guys. As well, as much as I want you to hear what I have to say this morning, you, you can go and join the, the youth service if you are in youth group. How, how many of you have ever walked through a hard time in relationships with another person? Okay, almost everyone. For those of you who haven't raised your hand, I would like to have some coffee with you. Uh, <laughs> I want to figure out how you did that. Okay, all right. Maybe it was a coworker, a spouse, a family member, uh, maybe a boss. And uh, we're going to start here in the uh, kind of our central scripture for this morning is Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And I'm going to be reading out of the ESV uh, version. And it says this. Uh, it says, we're going to read down to verse 21. It says, let love be genuine. Tell your neighbor, say genuine. All right. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wow, I love that. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And repay no, repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil." 
but overcome evil with good. You know, the one who God used to write this scripture is the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, um, I love how he kind of brings the whole culture that he desires to see in the Church of Rome together here. I was doing a, a study on organizational culture recently, and uh, you know, I love how Paul like really lays this out. He, he lays out, he says, listen, this is how the interactions of the culture of your church is supposed to look like. This is, what this, this is, this is how you should act. And I want to highlight here, verse, specifically verse 17 and verse 18, where it says in verse 17, it says, repay no one evil for evil. And, you know, isn't that just kind of human nature? <laughs> that we want to make people suffer the way that they have made us suffer. Well, maybe not the same way, but, you know, at least a little bit. <laughs> okay? And maybe, maybe sometimes, I mean, this is just human nature. Maybe sometimes we don't repay actions, like, forthrightly to their face, but we may be more inclined to be a little passive-aggressive about it. I, you know, I, I uh, looked up the definition for passive-aggressive on uh, Google, and it says this. It says, of or denoting a type of behavior or personality characterized by indirect resistance to the demands of others and an avoidance of direct confrontation, as in procrastinating, pouting, or misplacing important materials. Wow. Let me just read that again. Is that good? All right. <laughs> it's passive. The definition of passive-aggressive is of or denoting a type of behavior or personality characterized by indirect resistance. Indirect resistance and an avoidance of direct confrontation as in procrastinating, pouting, or misplacing important materials. You know, the examples you know, are like that little boy who... After being told to sit down in his chair several times, he said, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. You know, <laughs> this internal like, hmm, mm -mm. Or, or I may be saying yes to you because the circumstances and your role dictate that I must say yes, but really inside I'm saying no, <laughs> no, I, no, I don't want to do it, no, you know. That, or it can be an example like in a Formica, uh, sorry, a Formica factory uh, that's shared in the book Crucial Conversations, which we're going to get to in a little bit, where a company culture was so bad between the executive, the executives, the managers, and the workers that every time the managers or the executives did something that the workers did not like, they would quote unquote feed the beast by taking full sheets of Formica and throwing it into the grinder that was used to grind up all the leftover scraps from work projects. So every time they would get upset, they would just take, you know, full sheets, one or two or three or several sheets of, you know, the high-quality material that they were called to work with and throw it into the grinder like, yeah, we'll take that. And they couldn't, the company could not figure out why their numbers were always off, why their inventory was always off, and they were losing money. But it was because of the culture in that, in that company and this passive-aggressive behavior of feeding the grinder. Wow. I'm sure no one here has ever had thoughts like that. <laughs> you know? 
All right? But, but maybe what if somebody's driving just following you too close on the road, and you just slow way down? <laughs> well, I can, I can legally drive 24 miles an hour in a 45, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and we just have this kind of passive-aggressive response. Um, all right. <laughs> Back to verse 17. It says, it says, repay no one evil for evil, but in the same breath. Notice there's a comma there. It's not even a period there. It's in the same breath of repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. That word thought there, it literally means to think ahead of time. To give thought, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So it means that that word thought is to kind of premeditate doing what is honorable in the sight of all. Premeditate being honorable towards this person when they treat you full of evil intent that you have premeditated what you can honor in their life. Wow. Wow. You know, the verse is essentially saying that to be ready to honor what is obviously good about someone and repay that to them when they are evil towards you. Whew. Got real quiet here. Essentially, have a mentality where you're looking for what you can honor about someone that is so obvious to everyone and then dwell on that that when they treat you in an evil way, you respond out of this place to say, listen, I'm going to do what's obviously honorable. I'm going to treat you in a way that's honestly, uh, obviously honorable. Wow. I mean, P- Paul, you know, man, Paul, you might just be putting the bar too high. <laughs> you know, the, that whole outdo one another and showing honor thing, you might be taking that just a little too far, Paul. Wow. You know, I was really trying to practice this uh, in my own life where it's like, Lord, you know, can, is it even possible for me <laughs> to, to, you know, try and figure, try and find something to honor in somebody that was really like coming against me or, or being aggressive towards me? And so this one time I was, and maybe I, I don't know if I told the story here or not before, but it, it, this one time, you know, I was really working on this in my life. Like, God, I want to have this response in my life that, that when you squeeze me, honor comes out, you know? And, <laughs> and um, one time I, I, I was pulling up, it was out in a country road, and I pulled up really quickly to a stop sign. And there was a, a, a car uh, coming the other way that didn't have to stop. And I guess the driver, she thought I was going to pull out in front of her because of how quickly I pulled up to the stop sign. And she, uh, you know, through various hand motions and screaming out the window, uh, and uh, some expletives that I shouldn't repeat here, she made it very clear that I was supposed to stop there, okay? And <laughs> what came out of me was like, I bless the heart of a teacher in you. <laughs> I was actually shocked. I, I really, I was like, wow. Because she was trying to teach me where I should stop, you know, on the road. And I was like, wow, that's something well, thank you, Lord. This is starting to catch. <laughs> this is start, starting to catch in my, in my own life. Yes, it's working. <laughs> you know? And really, you know, how we treat other people is a reflection of us, not of them. 
we have the responsibility to manage ourselves in relationships. And if you're trying to manage somebody else, you're actually just creating codependency. So we have the responsibility to manage us. And how we treat other people is a reflection of us, not a reflection of them. In verse 18, Paul goes on, the writer, he says, If possible, as much as it depends on you, tell your neighbor, say, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Wow. So at the same time that the Bible says that it might not be possible to live peaceably with everyone, it says that in the same place as it suggests that, it says, if it is even possible, you have to do it. If it is even possible, you should live peaceably. You have the responsibility to live peaceably with all. You see, the Bible really is... is, uh, is it's really good at placing the responsibility of our lives squarely on our shoulders and having us take responsibility for the things and the boundaries that God has given us to enforce in our lives. And so we are given the responsibility to do relationships and human interaction well. We are given that responsibility to do relationships well, to do human interaction well. So I would like to talk a little bit about the concept that is described in, in this book called Crucial Conversations, which is the name of the, of the title this morning of the message. But uh, really, it comes down to this. It comes down to, you know, communication is the bedrock for all relationships, right? You know, I, I firmly believe that, you know, in, in my life, and with people that I'm working with or in marriage, and if we can keep communicating, we can get through anything. Yeah? If you can keep communicating. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's... But if you can keep communication lines open, you can get through anything. So what is a crucial conversation? Well, a crucial conversation are when opinions vary. Okay? There's difference of opinions. When the stakes are high meaning that your life will be dramatically impacted as a result of this conversation, and your emotions are running strong. Okay? So when, uh, when the stakes are high, when opinions vary, and when your emotions are running strong, that is a crucial conversation. And I, I, I love those who are just starting to smile at me. All right? It helps me up here, you know? <laughs> so... And the, the, the irony about this whole thing is that, you know, as believers, we above everyone else should be able to handle crucial conversations well. We should be able to handle difficult conversations well. Amen. <laughs> and the irony is that as people, it's human nature, as people, the more crucial a conversation is the more poorly we tend to do on it. The more crucial a conversation is, the more our emotions and our adrenaline gets involved and it kicks in and it's like the harder it is to kind of pull back, calm down, and take a breath. So I would like to give us some definitions and tools uh, that are outlined here uh, for us. 
in the book, Crucial Conversations. And I believe that these, these, though they are not in the Bible, they are biblical. And before we go into that, can we just pray and take some of this heaviness out of the room? <laughs> All right? Because the Lord, as much as we have the responsibility, the Lord empowers us in our responsibility. Amen? He, he gives us the grace that we need. He gives us the tools that we need. And we're going to learn some tools here this morning. He gives us what we need to enable to accomplish it, yeah? So, Father, we thank you, God, for your purposes in our relationships. We thank you, Father, for your purposes as, uh, God, even as I'm speaking to myself here this morning. God, we thank you for your purposes here. And we thank you for grace and tools and revelation. We thank you that you're so good that you prepare and equip us for what we need. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, everyone just breathe a little bit. <sighs> okay, thank you. That's for me, not for you. <laughs> All right, so, so there are some things that can really help us in order to have crucial conversations well. And, in, and this is something that we need to highlight right off the bat, that in conversations, when people do not feel safe, they do not contribute their best thoughts and ideas towards Finding the best solutions. So in our lives, when people don't feel safe, they don't contribute their best. They shut down, which means that when we're, whenever we're wor- working together with more than just yourself, <laughs> you know, you want to make the best possible decisions, right? That you can. You want to make the best possible decisions that you can. But what happens is when people don't feel safe, we shut down. It's our nature. There's two things, and, and maybe you've heard others talk about this, but there's two, there's two areas that people tend to gravitate to under stress. They run to, number one, silence. Well, what's the other one if you've heard the message about crucial conversations before? Violence. So people under stress, they will either go to, most of the time, to one of these two places, silence or violence. Okay, so let's define what silence and violence is. And I just want to let you know on the front end, I'm going to be hitting y'all this morning. I'm going to be hitting myself, all right? So like this, these words are going to, you know, target just about everybody in the room. Not that I know your situation, I just understand human nature, okay? Because I is one. All right, <laughs> so silence is when somebody shuts down. When they withhold their opinions for fear of confrontation or fear of offending others or fear of sounding stupid. That's silence. Silence consists of any act to purposefully withhold information from each other. It always, it's almost always done as a means of avoiding potential problems. And it always restricts the flow of shared understanding. Methods of silence range from playing verbal games to avoiding a person entirely. The three most common forms of silence are masking, avoiding, and withdrawing. And I'm going to give you some definitions for those. Everyone just breathe with me. Thank you, Lord. Masking consists of understating or selectively showing our true opinions. 
where we understate our opinion, kind of mask it, or we underrepresent it. The use of sarcasm or, sugar, or sugarcoating and couching are some of the more popular forms of masking. Rather than tell people exactly what you think, do you sometimes rely on jokes, on sarcasm, or snide remarks to let them know that you're frustrated? When you have something tough to bring up, do you sometimes offer weak or insincere compliments to soften the blow? That's masking. Number two, avoiding. Avoiding involves steering completely away from sensitive subjects. We talk, but without addressing the elephant in the room, without addressing real issues. Avoiding, what that looks like is sometimes when people bring up, bring up a touchy or awkward issue, do you try to change the subject? When it comes to dealing with awkward or stressful subjects, do you sometimes hold back rather than give your full and candid opinion? I want to give you a definition for withdrawing. Withdrawing means to pull out of a conversation altogether. We either exit the conversation or exit the room. What this looks like is, at times, do you avoid situations that might bring you into contact with people you're having problems with? Have you put off returning phone calls or emails because you simply don't want to deal with the person who sent them? Masking, avoiding, and withdrawing are all forms of silence. Moving to silence. Okay? And, you know, one, one thing that has become really kind of just normal in, in our culture, hey, we're getting notes up there, that's awesome. One thing that becomes kind of normal in our culture is the use of sarcasm. And generally, when sarcasm is used, it means that there's something you want to say, but you don't know how to say it. Okay, let's talk about violence. <laughs> Moving from silence to violence, because, you know, probably about half of us tend to move towards silence in conflict, and then half of us move towards violence in conflict. Violence, um, according to the authors in Crucial Conversations, violence consists of any verbal strategy that attempts to convince, control, or compel others to your point of view. It violates safety by trying to force understanding upon everyone else. Methods range from name-calling, monologuing, to making threats. The three most common forms of violence are controlling, labeling, and attacking. Controlling, labeling, and attacking. You know, what happens on just about every social media post that is, you know, political in nature or, uh, you know, kind of out there and, and you put it out there and people try and control the, the flow of the conversation, attack different viewpoints, name, name different things so they can disregard it. 
Controlling looks like this. It consists of coercing others to your way of thinking. It's done through either forcing your views on others or dominating the conversation. Methods include cutting others off, overstating facts. The last 400 times that we met, you did this. We only met like two times. <laughs> you know? All right. Overstating your uh, overstating facts, speaking in absolutes, changing subjects, or using directive questions to control the conversation. That's what controlling looks like. In order to get your point across, do you sometimes exaggerate your side of the argument? If you seem to be losing control of a conversation, do you cut people off or change the subject in order to bring it back to where you think it should be? That's controlling. Labeling. Labeling is putting a label on people or putting a label on ideas so we can dismiss them under a general stereotype or category. Labeling. So when others make points that seem stupid to you, do you sometimes let them know without holding back at all? When you're stunned by a comment, do you sometimes say things that others might take as forceful or attacking? Comments such as, give me a break, or that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's labeling. The purpose of labeling is to be able to write it off. Attacking, the last definition here of violence that we want to talk about. Attacking, you've moved from winning the argument to making the other person suffer. Tactics include belittling or threatening. Attacking. Sometimes when things get heated, do you move from arguing against another person's points to saying things that might hurt them personally? If you get into a heated discussion, are you known to be tough on the other person? In fact, does that person feel a bit insulted or hurt? Okay, everyone, just take a breath. Wow. Okay, so have we touched everybody yet? All right. Why? These are natural responses of how we respond under stress, how we respond under conflict. Tell your neighbor, say, it's okay. But what I want to do this morning is I want to give us tools for, for navigating through some of these crucial conversations. I want to give us some tools. So these are tendencies that all of us have. I mean, I know what my tendencies are reading through this, okay? I know exactly where I fit, all right, in this whole thing. Okay, the purpose of silence, the pur sorry, let's, the purpose of violence many times is to send someone to silence. So if I am aggressive enough to Brian, I'll get him to shut up and then I won't have to deal with it. Not that there's anything between Brian and I. You know what I mean? Okay? So the person running to silence does not have to have the hard conversation because they're avoiding the people or the circumstances that bring them up. 
And the person running to violence does not have to deal with the hard conversation or the hard topic because they are aggressively driving people away who have the perspectives that need to be heard. But the problem is the issue is never resolved. And it continues to fester, and it continues to divide, and it continues to stop open communication. So, here are some tools. Number one, what do you do if you encounter silence or violence? If you encounter somebody and in that place uh, you recognize that, hey, this person is running to silence or violence. They're starting to react. They're starting to get aggressive. Or, you know, you ask for feedback and they just, come, they just go quiet on you. All right? What are some tools that we have? Praise God, there's tools. Tell your neighbor, say, praise God, there's tools. <laughs> there's tools, okay, that you can use. Number one. We need to rewire our brain to understand that if I encounter silence or violence, instead of reacting to it, instead of responding to the silence or violence, we need to rewire our brain to say, hey, this person doesn't feel safe. The reason they're doing that is because they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe to say what it is that they need to say. And so instead of, you know, kind of responding, we need to retrain ourselves to say, hey, safety is at stake here. And when we see violence or silence, think, I need to build safety. I need to build safety. In order, we need to keep communicating. And in order for us to keep communicating, we both need to feel safe. Okay? So what do you do if you encounter violence or silence? Okay. You say build, I say safety. Build. Build. Safety, right. <laughs> okay? That's what we do. When we encounter violence or silence, we need to pull back, backpedal, and build safety. How do we do that? We need to stay communicating, and sometimes it's really difficult, especially, you know, if, if someone is reacting. We want to react back, right? But what, you know, what Paul was saying there in Romans about, like, hey, you, you know, when someone treats you with evil intent, you need to be able to respond out of honor. The responsibility on us is to be able to, to be, be the bigger person and respond out of honor and say, listen, okay, how, how can I build safety in this moment? Number one, to build safety, you need to start with your heart. Start with your heart. Think about this. What do you really want in the depths of your heart? Clearly think about what you really want in the depths of your heart. Ask yourself, what do you want for you? What do you want for others? And what do you want for the relationship? So if I'm arguing with Sheree, if I'm arguing with my spouse, <laughs> we never argue, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're just two very strong individuals that cohabitate in the same house and never argue. <laughs> I have the mic. She doesn't. <laughs> so if I'm, if, if I'm arguing with my spouse, okay, and um, I, I, first I need to say, listen, is, 
do I want to win this? Or what do I really want? I want to have a mutually uh, beneficial relationship. I want to have, I want our relationship to be a mutual blessing. And I want to accomplish great things together. And I want each one of us to feel valued. So starting with, in, what do I really want? You know, what do, what do I really want um, inside? You know, so maybe that looks like to you in your work situation, I want a mutually fulfilling relationship that allows us to accomplish great things together at this job. Or I want this work project to excel and each team member feel that they are the most valuable team member. What is it that you really want? Define what that is. I want this business to excel, you know. I want this church to be vibrant, to be filled with the life of God and filled with people who are encountering God's presence. And it's radically changing our lives. What is it we really want? What is it that we really want for us, for them, and for the relationship? To build safety... That's what we need to understand. We need to know what we really want, and then we need to appeal to mutual interest and mutual respect. Appeal to mutual interest and mutual respect. Mutual interest looks like this. The other person or the other people need to know that we care about their interests and their goals. The other person needs to know that we care about their interests and their goals, that it matters. And then they need to know that we care about them, and then we need to be able to share, openly share our own. What are our goals? What are our interests? This is what we want. When mutual interest is broken, when this is when relationships start to break down, conversations start to break down. They break down because many times either mutual interest or mutual respect is broken. So when mutual interest is broken, just take a step back and contrast. Joe, this is what you want, right? Yes, okay, this is what I want. And contrast the two. And don't, don't, fall into the trap of saying, well, we have to have either, either or. It's your way or it's my way. What is the third option? How can we see both? Because most of the time, our, our goals are not diametrically opposed to each other. In fact, most of the time, they're complementary. Okay? So what is the third choice? Not just yours, not just mine, but what is ours together? That's mutual interest. Appeal to that. Say, hey, you want to do this? I want to do this? You know, how can we do both? The next, the next one is mutual respect. Have you ever found yourself like uh, in an argument or in a, in a dialogue, <clears throat> quote, unquote, and you, you, you find yourself there, and all of a sudden you're not even arguing anymore about like the facts or the, the issue it's, it's become like a one-on-one, -on -one, like, you know, you're arguing about this other person has now offended you, and you are like, why would that person say that? Yeah? Okay? This happens in human relations. If it's happened to you, you're normal, okay? 
Okay, it's happening here. And this is because mutual respect has been broken. That I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel that you respect me. And so I have to try and earn my respect back. I will make you respect me. Or I'll run to silence and pity myself until you feel bad enough to respect me. Okay, mutual respect is when that breaks down, the way to restore that is that you must know, they must know, the other party must know that we care about them. We care about them because mutual res- when, when respect is broken, it says, I don't care about you. The other party must know that we, rec- that we care about them. And so the way that we do that is an A word. It's a big A word. It's called apologize. Whoa. <laughs> yes, apologize. Hey, if mutual respect is broken, if I said something that disrespected you, I need to own that and say, I am sorry. I apologize. Okay? So how do you restore Mutual interest, you contrast. Hey, this is what you want. This is what I want. Is that, am I hearing you right? That's really what you want? Okay, how can we both, and it's important in that to separate strategy from goal. Sometimes we're so in love with our strategies that like we, it has to be done this way. Well, separate your strategy from your goal, from what you really want. What I really want is I want us to, to achieve better, uh, achieve good things together, you know, and have a high level of intimacy, in our life. You know, what, that's what I really want. And in order to do that, what do you really want? Well, you want to you be heard. You want to you have a free space to be able to share the, the thoughts and the intentions and the ideas of your heart. You know, what, what is it that you both want? Because most of the time it's doable. Okay, so, uh, you know, appeal to the goals, appeal to mutual interest, and then if it's respect that's been broken, apologize. It's that simple. Hey, I'm sorry, I did not mean, you know, when I said that, that was disrespectful to you, and I apologize. I own that. That, I'm sorry. I I didn't want to disrespect you. And when I said that, I recognized that I did, and I apologize for that. You know? So appeal to mutual respect. These two things, mutual interest and mutual respect, when they break down, it sabotages our ability to have crucial conversations. People misunderstanding our motives can also sabotage crucial conversations. It's not really that peop- it's not really because people think they don't really believe uh, listen, you can you can almost say anything to anybody if you do it well, if you do it right. Okay? So it's not that people it's not because people don't like hard content. It's that when you bring hard content, they believe that it suggests a malicious intent. So if we bring up hard content, well, it's because you are out to get me. Or you never understand me. It suggests malicious intent. So people don't really understand our motives unless we explain our motives to them. And if you don't explain your motives, 
people are free to assign their ideas to you. People are free to assign their motives for what, why they think you're doing what you're doing. When we don't explain our, our motives. So sabotage happens when we fail also, the last point here, to master our own internal stories. Our own internal stories. Maybe you're the one who's assigning motives to other people. Why would that person do that? Well, it, they must do that because they think that I'm not capable. Or they think that I'm not good enough. Or they, you know, and you wind up assigning motives when you don't know. And that's internal stories that happen. See, other people are not strong enough to create emotions inside of you. Other people are not strong enough to create emotions inside of you. Do you know who creates emotions inside of you? Ourselves. Yeah, we do. We create emotions inside of us. We create our own emotions by the story that we tell ourselves when we assume to know other people's motives. We create our own emotions. So put yourself in this place. You're in a traffic jam on a highway. There's a guardrail over here, and you are in the right lane, okay? And the person in the left lane all of a sudden just starts laying on their horn and inches the front of their car in between you and the car in front of you. And they're just blowing their horn and waving like, I, I got to get over there. Like, and how many, of, yeah? And, and they, <laughs> they get over in front of you, and then all of a sudden they hop out on the side of the road the car, they drive their car onto the side of the road, and they drive down the shoulder of the road. How many of you would be, like, frustrated? Just be honest, a few. Okay. Some of you are more sanctified than I. All right. So, <laughs> that, you, you know, that, that's because the facts are that they were beside us, and they blew the horn. They made a lot of noise. Everyone's in the traffic jam, and they thought that they were better than everybody else, that they somehow had the right to cut in front and get out on the shoulder and drive down the shoulder, right? Okay. Now, uh, yes, we can get angry and annoyed. Why? Because we don't know why. We don't know their motives. So all of a sudden, we assign internally. It's so quick. It's so quick. And it's so subtle. But it's the motive that we assign to them that causes us to be upset. That person is a jerk. That person doesn't care that everyone else is stuck in traffic. That person, okay, and we assign a motive to them. But, and we, we get frustrated or annoyed. But now, what if... We found out later that the driver of that car had just received a phone call that their loved one was in the accident that caused the traffic backup and their loved one might not make it. All of a sudden, immediately, our anger, our frustration goes away. Because we would do the exact same thing in that scenario. We would do whatever we could to get up to that accident scene. What changed? Did the facts change? No. 
what we understood about the facts changed, and our internal story was informed. And so our emotions change. So our emotions are connected to our internal stories that we tell ourselves about people. And you know what happens is the enemy plays in this area. Have you ever thought, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and it's like, you know, maybe it's in the evening or whatever and you have a conversation with them and just something they say causes you to go, huh, that's weird. But then like you lay there in bed and you rehearse that conversation over and over. Some of you are laughing. That's good. It means I'm not alone. All right. So you rehearse that conversation over and over and over again. And by the next morning, you are sure that this person is the worst person on the face of the earth. <laughs> what is, what's happening? What's happening is we are telling ourselves a story. All right? And this is how the enemy comes in and drives division between people. Is we tell ourselves a story and then inadvertently something happens that reinforces our story about that person to us. And something happens, and we're like, see, I knew it. I knew it. Yep, they, they are the most evil person in the world. <laughs> okay? Because something has happened that, and what happens is we, we have a lens that starts to be, colored by situations, by our, really by our own story. Our lens starts to be covered by what we already believe about people. This happens, about, this happens to God, not to him, but it happens to us about God. We go through a hard situation. There was a time we went through a really hard situation, and we didn't have finances, and we were really poor, and we were really, uh, really having a hard time. And in that... Somehow I believed the idea that God really doesn't care how hard or how painful of a scenario that we go through. And I believed that for years, that all he wanted was obedience. And he really doesn't care how difficult it is for you. And it was something that I had to redefine in my mind that God is really a good father, and his goodness is really true. Yeah? These conversations that we have, these internal stories, we tell ourselves in these stories, these are, these are things that, that uh, sabotage the ability to have crucial conversations well. We're all going to have crucial conversations. But it's up to us whether we do them well or not. These stories that we tell ourselves, we, tell our, we tend to tell ourselves three types of stories. Number one, we tell ourselves victim stories, villain stories, and helpless stories. Victim stories are, there is absolutely no way that I contributed at all to this scenario. And that person is the reason why this scenario broke down. That's a victim. I'm just a victim. I have no responsibility. That's really what victim and villain and helpless stories do is it shifts all responsibility off of ourselves onto the other person. We're like, hey, I'm just a victim here. I, I have nothing, there's nothing I could have done. Really? Now listen, there are true scenarios where people are truly victims 
you know, to uh, malicious uh, acts, you know, of, of, of other people because of, you know, sex, uh, you know, sexual predators, that kind of thing. And that's not what we're talking about here. We recognize there are true victims. But I'm talking about these stories that we tell ourselves where we somehow get ourselves off the hook. We get ourselves off the hook. And we tell ourselves, man, there's nothing I could have done. It was all that other person. And then in turn, we, we tend to tell ourselves victim, story, uh, victim stories and villain stories where, well, that, it's that other person who's, tr- man, they're truly the villain of this scenario. And those tend to be, the victim and villain stories tend to be mostly about our past. Say, there's nothing we could have done. There's nothing that I could have done. That person was all, you know, they were wrong. That church leader, you know, was wrong, and there's no way that I contributed to that. But then we, we can tell ourselves helpless stories about the future, where we say, oh, because it is the way it is, I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. I might as well just give up now. And really, by believing those stories, we unempower ourselves. And Jesus is over here at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, empowering us with the Holy Spirit, and our stories are unempowering ourselves in our relationships and in what God has called us to do. And the enemy sabotages our lives in that way. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 25, he said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you into prison. Wow. Jesus places the responsibility to be good at crucial conversations squarely on our shoulders. You know, the most crucial conversation you'll ever have in your life, the most important conversation you'll ever have in your life is your conversation with God. How is your relationship with him? How's your relationship with him? Has Satan come and tried to sow lies and tried to sow untrue stories internally about God? You know, that's what he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. First, he cast doubt on God. Did God really say? Genesis chapter 3. And then he lies about God. You shall not surely die. And then he tries to convince that God has evil intent or is withholding something from us. Oh, he knows that once you eat of the fruit, you will be like him. He plants seeds of internal stories. The gospel is this. The gospel is that in the beginning, God reigns supreme. In the beginning, he reigns supreme. He created the entire world and all the systems, and they all worked together beautifully and in harmony. And then Satan led a rebellion against God. And as mankind, men and women, we followed in Satan's rebellion. And because of that sin, our relationship with God was broken. 
And the one who knows us, the one who knows who we are, the one who knows why we exist, was broken. And various times throughout history, God has sent prophets, he sent people, he sent his word to tell us that he's not going to allow this relationship to stay broken forever. And he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross to take the punishment for your sin and for my sin, to take the payment of the sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin, what we deserve because of our sin is death. But Jesus came and he took that payment to restore us back to relationship with our heavenly father who knows who we are, knows why we exist. But we have to accept what he's done by making him Lord and letting him reign supreme again in our lives. Can we stand together this morning? So I want to do a recap quickly. So whenever we head into crucial conversations, whenever we head into times of stress, we wind up, it's human nature, usually running to silence or violence. And the way to recognize that is recognize silence and violence. We went through that whole thing. But, you know, if there's sarcasm, if people just shut down on you, or if they just get aggressive, Whenever that happens, recognize that safety is at stake. That person doesn't feel safe to say what it is they really need to say. So build safety. How do you build safety? Decide in your mind, what is it that I really want? In the depths of my heart, what is it that I really want? And then I want to appeal to mutual interest, and I want to appeal to mutual respect. Okay? Be careful that you're not uh, letting victim and villain stories, our own stories, sabotage the ability to have crucial conversations. Know that those stories are really what triggers our emotions. So when we get emotional, recognize that inside there was something we believe about this person and about their actions. And examine it. Maybe it's true, but maybe, maybe it's not. All right? Don't assign motives. Rather, find out what the motives are. When you did that, man, that really, I felt really upset. And I wasn't sure. But can you tell me why you did that? Can you tell me why you did that? Find out what the motives are. Allow, allow others to define their motives. All right? We are responsible for ourselves in relationships. And we're responsible. You know, God sent his only son to us, to earth, and he's made the way possible. The only thing that requires from us is surrender. It's our responsibility to surrender. It's our responsibility to say, yes, Lord, I receive everything that you've done for me. So if you're here today and you recognize that you've never really given your life to the Lord, you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, or you're online, you're listening to me, and you recognize that you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. And I want to pray with you, and I want to invite you to pray along with me. 
if that's you. Or maybe you recognize that you have drifted in your relationship. Maybe you've let the lies of the enemy come in and somehow drive a wedge between you and the good father that God is. And I want to pray with you. Pray with me if that's you. Say, in the name of Jesus, Father, I come to you. I believe that you send Jesus to die on the cross for me. To take the punishment of all the wrong things that I've done. And I ask that you would save me today. Today I give my life into your hands. I ask you to fill me with your life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. And I ask that you would fill me with his life. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me and guide me. I want to have a true and open relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you're here with us, we have a gift for you. If you're online, please contact us. We want to send you some material uh, to help you in your journey with the Lord. If you're here and you would like prayer for any other reason, we're going to have the prayer ministers. You can come and line up here in the front. And we're um, going to just take some time to pray and minister to you about anything that you need prayer for. And I want to encourage you to take advantage of this time. When you come forward, it's not an, an admission that All things right, are really bad stand. enough in my life, so bad that I have to go forward. No, coming for prayer is about, is about getting what we need. Like, hey, like this, this right here, this community right here is where we get our needs met, where we get some of our spiritual needs fulfilled and get empowered for the week so that we can go and be the gateway of the kingdom of God, where the kingdom of God can come in and through us out, out there during the week. This is where we can get filled up and encouraged and blessed. And so if there's things that you would like prayer for, I want to encourage you. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for your heart and your will for every person here. I'm of my voice. God, I know that we talked about some really sticky concepts and conversations here this morning. But God, I thank you that you empower us to do well in difficult times and difficult conversations. I thank you, Father, that you empower us to show honor to God because it is our heart to show honor. God, and not because of other people the way they act. God, I thank you, Lord, for victory and for freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have an incredible week. Don't go home and fight. Go home and have crucial conversations. Amen. <laughs> All right. God bless you. Have an amazing week.